week we're finishing up our series called Keys to the Kingdom, and what we've been exploring over the last several weeks is the keys that God has given Fam Church to unlock our kingdom potential here in Mulberry. And uh, if you've missed any of the messages, you can go out to My Fam Church and watch them out there. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, we've got them out there. And uh, listen, if you are a regular here at Fam Church, if you call Fam Church home and you missed any of those three messages, I need you to go out and watch them because it's about who we are as a church and where we're going in the future. And the first week we looked at our mission statement, we looked at the why behind Fam Church, and as we already said, it's connecting people to Christ. It's about reaching out, it's about showing people who Jesus is. And then last week, we went into the hows of what we're doing, you know, how are we going to do this? And it was through the five purposes of the church we saw, the, the worship, evangelism, ministry, discipleship, and fellowship. And, and through those five areas, we came up with three words to, to summarize those, those five areas in our church. We came up with live, love, and learn. Okay, live basically means to live out the gospel in outreach and ministry. Love talks of worship and fellowship. And uh, learning is about discipleship and us continuing to grow towards becoming all that Jesus wants us to be. And then from there, we looked at the results of the survey that we handed out. And so if you're waiting for the results of the survey and you weren't, weren't here last week, go back and listen to the message. You can get all that information there. But what we did find out is that this shirt does this church does have a shortfall in certain areas, okay? We're, we're very short in uh, fellowship. We, we, we're almost not on the grid for fellowship. And then, uh, you know, we had some issues in, in discipleship, and we could do better in evangelism, and ministry was fine, but there was a couple of areas we could improve. And finally, the thing we scored highest on was our, our Sunday morning worship experience. And so, and so that was kind of the findings of the survey, and uh, that's what we looked at last week. And now moving on to our final message in this series, this morning we're going to talk about our core values as a church. And this is going to be a different style of message in that I'm going to kind of make a point and pull scriptures out of the Bible to match the point I'm making. And, and what you need to know about that is if you've taken a hermeneutics or homiletics class, this is not the way you're supposed to preach. And so Southeastern students, do not use this message this morning as a model in one of your classes because it could get you an F. That's all I'm going to say, okay? But see, I'm not being graded, so it doesn't matter how I do it. And so let's start by defining this concept of core values. Core values are the guiding principles that dictate behavior and action. They help us determine whether an organization is on the right path and fulfilling its goals. And so a place like Fam Church, they serve as the principles, the foundation for our mission and purposes. It lets us know if the things we are doing are right or wrong. And so let's dig into Fam Church's core values. All right, so our first core value is prayer. Prayer is the foundation to everything the church does. Now for this, I want to make some clarification because there's generally a misunderstanding about when it comes to prayer and it's because of where we live in, in the United States of America and how everything is individualistic here. And, and we think that uh, prayer means that when we have a spare few moments and we have a little bit of time and we know something's going on at the church, we stop at our house, we sit down and we pray and we, we spend a little bit of time in prayer and then we move on in our life. And that's not what we are talking about here when we mean, when we say, 
say when we are looking at prayer. And, and so what I want to see from this is I want us to turn to the book of Acts for our first, uh, for first section of uh, verses we're going to use. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to go through verses 23 through 31. And uh, if you don't know where any of these verses are at, you know, we're moving too fast, you can't keep up, they'll be on the screen behind me, uh, so, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, we we'll, we'll, we got you covered on that area. Now this is what it says starting in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel in this city conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus." After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so Peter and John, here's what's going on here. Peter and John, they'd been arrested by the religious leaders, okay? And, and they'd been taken to jail, but, but there was no basis for a charge against them. And, and the church had been meeting together, separate from this, and they had been praying for, for Peter and for John for their release. Well, Peter and John, they walk into this prayer meeting, okay? And the people see Peter and John walk in, and they're blown away by these guys showing up. And they're like, man, look at what happened when we prayed. Something happened. And, and then they just, they all got together after Peter and John came in there, and the church gathered together and spent time seeking God and praying. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit moved. And as they prayed, the, the, the place was shaken. And, and, and so what I want all of us to catch here is that it was not a bunch of people off at their houses looking at email prayer requests and spending a minute in prayer for that need that shook the ground. See, what shook the ground was that the church came together and prayed for a move of God. They corporately prayed for God to do something, and he did. And see, if we want to see God do something here in Mulberry, here at Fam Church, here in our community, we can't just say, okay, I will pray for that when I have some time and I am at home. We need to also make an effort to come together and spend time together in prayer as a corporate group, as a corporate body, because that's where the power is at. I went through and I looked at a bunch of different sections of the Old and New Testament, and every time God did something like shake a building or, or something super powerful, it wasn't because somebody just got together, they just went off by themselves and prayed a prayer for a few minutes. It was usually when people gathered together and prayed as a corporate body. We need to pray together as a corporate body. This is why we have prayer on Tuesday mornings. This is why we have prayer on Saturday mornings and once a month on a Wednesday night. This is why before our staff meetings and before our board meetings, we stop and we take 10, 15, 20 minutes and do nothing but pray together corporately for what's about to take, to take place because we know without that foundation of prayer in, in everything that we do, we cannot do anything here in this city. And until the pastors, until the staff, 
until the board, until the department heads, and all those involved in the church put this as a foundation for doing ministry here at the church, our church is not going to move forward. See, we need to value prayer. We need to commit to prayer. We don't stay at home on the Wednesday night once a month that we have prayer because all they're doing is praying. That's all we can do is pray, really. I mean, we cannot just sit back and say, you know what, I got a few minutes, I'll take some time out in my car, uh, in, my, in my house, when I'm by the pool, when I'm sitting at the beach, and I'll pray. God is saying, you know what, there are times that we need to gather together as a group and pray, and that is part of the foundation of who we are going to be. That is part of our core values here at FAM Church. Our second core value is the Word of God. Uh, did any of you hear of the Millennium Tower this week? Nobody? Not the Millennium Falcon, the, the ship from Star Wars. The Millennium Tower. It's a 58-story tower in downtown San Francisco. And what they found this week was that this tower is, in fact, sinking and starting to tilt. Okay? I mean, think about that. You're in a building a skyscraper, people live in this thing, and it's sinking and leaning. One person who paid $2.1 million for their two-bedroom, two-bath unit is not very happy about it, and I wouldn't be either. Would you, if you paid $2.1 million and you find out your building was sinking and leaning? See, here's what happened. There was a problem when they engineered the building. When they examined the soil that they were putting this building on, the engineers made some miscalculations. And now here we are years later and these miscalculations are leading to the building tilting and leaning. You see, what they thought was true about the ground was in fact not true. And now they are scrambling to find a way to, keep it and the, to, keep, to fix it and keep the building from leaning or sinking anymore, but they're not sure what to do with it. So what does that have to do with us? For a church, knowing what is true is just as important is knowing what is true about the ground that a building is built on. See, if we in the church do not have a solid source of truth as our foundation, we are going to start to lean. We are going to start to sink, and at some point, we are going to fall over. That is why the truth of the Word of God is our second core value. It's what we anchor everything that we do on. We know that the word of God determines truth and life and the reason that we are here to do what we do is in the word of God. And Matthew 7, 24 says this, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So this was Jesus speaking and he lets us know that the word of God is truth and that building on its foundation is the only way to build. That means in the church, if it's not found in the word of God, if we cannot anchor it on the word of God, that means that we're, it's not something that we have to keep. It's not something that we have to maintain. It's not something that we have to do because the word of God is our true anchor that we put anything, everything on. That means the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything found in that Bible is our anchor for truth. Our third core value is that we love and serve people in real, authentic ways. 
How many of us like, like it when we go somewhere and we get served? Okay, one person does. All right. None of you guys like to get served, so that's, that's, I guess this point is mute. But no, when we go to a rest, or there's people I know that they go on cruises, right? Because why? Because they're treated like royalty on a cruise. They don't have to do anything, and people just love that. When we go to a restaurant, a lot of times we base our service and everything else at the restaurant based on how well they serve us, right? I, we've got friends who, they look for a reason to hate a restaurant, and they look for a reason not to tip. I hate going to restaurants with them. It's nobody at this church. But it's like, you know, you're sitting there, you're eating your meal, and all of a sudden they'll go, man, the waitress breathed wrong. Uh, she, no tip for her, man. And so it bothers me, and so every time I feel like I have to double portion my tip because I don't want to be the bum that walks away with giving her much of a tip. And then, you know, in smaller areas, people find out you're a pastor, and then that's, they judge the whole church based on that. And so I usually got to double my tip when I'm out with them. What about marriage? We all love our marriages where our spouse, in our marriage where our spouse serves us, Right? That's, the fa- that's our favorite part of marriage, when our spouse serves us. I mean, I got a good story here. It's a, well, ladies, you may hate me for telling this story. Men, you can give me a tip later after the story. But uh, this is the deal. You know, I, I carry a lot of stress, and it's carried in my neck, in my shoulders, and in my upper back. And it can get really painful. And, uh, I mean, it's like my muscles up there get, like, hard as a rock. Like, Dana tries to do something with them, and she's like, I can't even get them to move. And so we had determined that I needed to see a professional masseuse. However, professional masseuses are very expensive. And so that was not in the budgetary plans any time in the near future. And so my wife, what she did was she went to YouTube. Any question you need answered in the world, there's a video about it on YouTube. So she watched videos of professional masseuses massaging people's neck and shoulders and upper back. She learned them and she worked on my neck, my shoulders, and my upper back whenever I would have those tight pains, whenever things would get really tight. You know, she just, she served me. She did what Jesus has called us to do as a church in loving and serving. And see, that's what we're called to do in our community. Now, I'm not saying we're called to give our community massages. I'm not giving anyone a massage in here except for my wife. But this is what Jesus came to this earth to do. He came to serve. Not, now, he didn't come to give us a massage. That would have been awesome, though, wouldn't it? Jesus gives us all massages. How many of you would be down with that? Anyone? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I would love Jesus to give us massages. But, but no, he came to love and to serve. It says in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to live his life for others, and that's what we are called to do. Why did he serve? He was compelled by love. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us because Jesus loves each and every single one of us. But what happens is, so many times we receive Jesus' love and the love and the, the, the sacrifice that he made for us, but then when it comes to us returning the favor to him, we don't quite have the same passion for serving and loving that he does. Yeah, I'll serve Jesus as long as it 
fits into my schedule, as long as I don't have to give a very big piece of my life, as long as it doesn't cost me something. But you see, that's not Jesus. Jesus paid a steep price. And those who follow and serve him, Jesus has said, you know what? I served, I sacrificed, I paid a steep price. And you guys, as followers of mine, are called to do the same thing. See, because of his service, because of his sacrifice, because of his love, that's what allowed him to make the impact in the world that he made. That's what allowed him to transform so many lives was because he was there, because he served, because he sacrificed, because he did everything with love and compassion for those who were far from him because he knew that hell is real, hell is terrible, and he wanted as few people going there as possible. And so with us, we need to serve. With us, we need to be a force of change in this community by serving and loving others. Our fourth core value is faith and risk. There's not one without the other. So you cannot say that you have faith without taking some sort of risk in your life. And taking risk involves faith. And what a lot of us forget is living our life is an act of faith. It's a risk every single day getting up and getting out of bed, okay? So much of life involves risk. I mean, think about you, you purchase a house. Think about the risk involved in purchasing a house. You've got this 30-year mortgage. You don't know if you're going to have the same income and salary and everything that you've got now to pay that thing 25 years from now. Even by getting a car and taking out a five-year car loan. You don't know if things are going to stay the same for the next five years, but we're willing to take that risk in our lives. Think about marriage. The, the whole act of getting married, that's a huge risk because you never know how that's going to turn out. Having kids, you know, having kids is another really big risk because you don't know how that's going to go down, how that's going to shake out. Driving a car each and every single day is a huge risk risk. Uh, I drive the staff crazy because I tell them, man, you guys got to be prepared in case I'm not here tomorrow. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'll always say, I could be driving home from work tonight and die in a car crash on my way home. And I always say, stop saying that. But it's because it's true. It, there's no guarantee that I'm going to be walking. I'll be here for Hope Fest tomorrow night. I could die driving home this afternoon. Okay, and it, it, it's just the way it is, but there's a risk in getting in a car and going out there and driving because you don't know what if your, last, if your next drive is going to be your last drive. We'll risk it all every single day when it comes to things like that, but when it comes to Jesus, his church, and serving him, we're fearful of the risk because we think there's too much at stake. Can I tell you there's too much at stake to not step out in faith? and take the risk that God is calling us to take? Because as I already said, hell is real, hell is eternal, and people we know are going there. Why do we say, oh, dude, I can't, that's too risky. People might know I'm a Christian. All right, when it comes to churches, or risk, there are three kinds of churches. The first church is the undertaker church. This is the church on the way to burying itself. They look back and they have a picture of the past but no plans for the future. The second church is the caretaker church. 
This church says they don't want to do anything. They just want to keep the church the way it is. Their goal is to keep the bills paid and the people that they have happy. Then there's the risk-taking church. The risk-taking church is the one that has faith, believes God, and knows there's too much at stake to not step out, take risk, and do something to advance the kingdom of God. And see, the kingdom of God needs churches that are willing to take risks, big risks. Are risks going to tick people off? Yes. Are risks going to cause people to say, this makes me uncomfortable? Yes. But you know what? Jesus lived a life of risk. We can live a life of risk too. This is what God says in Ecclesiastes 11.4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So you're saying, how does that relate to what we're talking about? Okay, so back in the day when they used to farm, okay, they didn't have all these cool machinery that we got now, right? And so when they wanted to scatter seed, they would take handfuls of seed and they would walk down the rows and they would throw the seed by hand like this. I don't know, Charles, on your farm, did you have to do that when you were young? I'm good? I got, I got the motion. Maybe I can go into farming. But, uh, but if it was windy out, as you're throwing the seed, Guess what's happening to some of the seed? It's blown away. If it's really windy out, guess what's happening to the seed? A whole lot of seed is blowing away, right? And so to put seed down, you wanted as little wind as possible. Also, back in the day, they didn't have these elaborate sprinkler systems, okay? They had to rely on the rain to water their crops, I know today we just, that blows our mind, right? Because every house these days is built with an irrigation system, but um, they had to rely on the rain. And so what this text is saying is this. If you're going to wait until there is no wind, if you're going to wait until it's going to rain all the time to guarantee the production of your crops, guess what? You are never going to sow or reap. The kingdom of God is moving forward and mulberry. And to do that, it involves risk, it involves faith, and instead of fighting that, we embrace that and we ask God, what do you want us to do that's gonna involve risk and faith? Our fifth core value is that we tell Jesus, uh, people what Jesus has done for us. This is the third time in three weeks we've talked about the importance of this. And so that probably means that this item is pretty important. Uh, our our uh, mission statement, connecting people to Christ, that's all about telling people about Jesus. Uh, one of our uh, purposes is evangelism and reaching out and telling people about Jesus. So I'm not going to go into any more detail about any of that. Uh, but it's important. We need to reach out, reach out, and reach out. Our sixth core value is excellence. What's excellence? This is the quality of being outstanding. How many of you, if you brought in someone to clean your house and they did an okay job, would refer them on to other people? How many of you, if you had someone wash your car and it looked okay, they just left a few dirt streaks on it someplace, would, would be okay with that. And you'd say, oh, that's all right, I'll just tell people about them. Or let's say you hired a painter and they came in to paint your wall and they got a little bit of paint on the baseboard, a little bit of paint on the ceiling, maybe some on the carpet, but, but you know, it was okay. And so you'd refer them on. Somebody cut your grass and they did most of the edging. Would you guys just be okay with that and refer people? Say, let me tell, I got to tell my friends about this guy. I got to tell my friends about this girl because they did such an okay job. No, we don't do that, do we? 
No, we, we, we think, we refer people on when things are done excellent. Think about a restaurant you've been to that you've just loved the food. Man, we can't stop raving about that, can we? I mean, I tell people all the time, I cannot, Palace Pizza has the best garlic knots on the planet. Okay, I've never had better garlic knots, and I tell people that all the time. Oh, dude, if you want garlic knots, you got to go to Palace Pizza. If anyone calls me and says, hey, hey, you want to meet for lunch? You know what I do? I always say, let's meet at Carol's Cafe. Why? Because Carol's got a 550 cheeseburger, french fry, and sweet tea deal that you cannot beat, and it tastes so good. I tell people about stuff like that. I tell people about the things that I think are amazing and good. Can I tell you that we worship a God who does things amazing and good and excellent? He never does anything okay. He never does things that are not too good. Look up at the sky on a clear night. Look at the beaches, the mountains, the forests, the plains, the desert. They all have stunning beauty. Look around you at the people in this room. The variety and beauty that's represented here in this very room just speaks to the excellence of God. And because our God is a God of excellence, um, all of our ministries, all of our activities, and all of the things that we, need, we do need to be done with excellence. This is what it says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then it says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And the ministries that we are involved in, when we drive onto these grounds, all of us should say to ourselves, man, I get to do something with excellence today. It doesn't matter what it is, greeting kids' ministry, cleaning toilets, cleaning the van. It doesn't matter. Excellence. We do it with excellence and we value excellence because Jesus valued it. Then the final value that we have, and this one I can't pull out uh, a text for, but it's ministries to all ages. And we're just, Linda Williams and I were just talking about this this morning. We think it's important that we have ministries of excellence to children, to youth, to young adults, to middle-aged adults, and to older adults, and even if necessary, aliens from another planet. Jesus has called us to reach this community. This community is made up of children, youth, young adults, middle-aged adults, and older adults. That was the life Jesus lived. He worked effectively and ministered to all. We value that, and that's what we want to do. So what does all this mean? The first thing it means is that this is what Fam Church is all about. If you've ever said to yourself, man, what is this church all about? Why are we here? To connect people to Christ. How are we going to connect people to Christ? We're going to live, we're going to love, we're going to learn. And then what are the foundations? What are the things that we're going to anchor that on? It's our seven core values that we just went through. Prayer, the word of God, loving and serving, faith and risk, excellence, telling people about Jesus and family ministries. But we can't just walk away from the last few weeks and say, oh, that was was a nice series. The things we talked about are calling us 
all to a couple of things. The first thing that they are asking it is, are we down with that? Okay? This is who we want to be. And you have to ask yourself if this is what you want to be about. Because only you can determine that. I mean, if you're not going in the direction that this bus is heading in reaching people, in, uh, in uh, giving people the three L's to live, to love, and to learn, if you're not down with any of this stuff, then maybe you should step off the bus. I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're planning to go to Jacksonville and you head to the bus stop and you get on a bus and it starts heading towards Miami, are you just going to stay on the bus just for the heck of it? No, you're going to say, I don't want to go to Miami. I'm going to Jacksonville. And you'll get off and get on the right bus. And so that's the first thing that God is saying. We need to determine in our hearts if this is the bus that we're going to ride on, if this is the direction that we're going to go, if this is the way we're going to impact our community. If you're saying, no, I like the bus better the way that First Baptist is going, then by all means, go to First Baptist, get on their bus and ride it and take and go as far as they are going to go. Okay, if you're saying to yourself, man, I like the bus that Victory Church is taking, by all means, go to Victory. You need to be at a place where the bus is going (coughs) in the direction that you want it to go. But then the second thing is this, after hearing this, is there any sort of urgency in your life? Is there any sort of urgency in you for our church, for our community, and for those that are far from God? Imagine if Jesus had given a day that he was going to return. Let's say Jesus says, I am going to return on November 17th, 2016. We all knew the date. It was out there. It was published. Everybody knew what the date was. Okay, we're coming up. November 1st is on Tuesday. What would we be doing if we knew for sure, without a doubt, that Jesus was coming back on November 17th? We'd probably all quit our jobs, right? We'd probably stop paying our bills, Okay, but we would probably find every loved one, every family, every friend, everybody we knew that we knew was far from God, and we'd tell them, listen, it's almost over. Time is almost up. You've got to get this right with God. We'd have a sense of urgency about who we are, but we don't have that date, and so we lost the urgency, but guess what? Jesus said, I could come back at any day, any time, any hour. Why does that not make us more urgent? It's because we sit there when we watch the world pass by and we just watch time go by and Jesus, he hasn't returned yet. I've got plenty of time. I I can do what I want to do. I can live my life the way I want. I can be who I want to be. I don't have to be urgent about those in my family, those of my friends, those of my neighbors who are far from God because we've got all kinds of time because look, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. We've got to understand it could be tomorrow. And we have to have that urgency because we've got a community that is far from God, that doesn't have hope, that doesn't have Jesus. And like I said, if you die without Jesus, it's not going to be a happy ending. So will we be urgent? Will we be urgent for what God has called us to be urgent for, his mission, why, how he has called us to do it? 